Amen. Red letters. Turn with me in your Bible to Matthew 5 and Ephesians 4. And while you do that, I'm just going to open up with prayer. Father God, I just pray that you would continue to fill this place with your Holy Spirit that you'll take these words and you'll apply them to our lives that we can begin to walk out your red letters in Jesus name. Today is week three in our series called Red Letter Living. Go ahead repeat that a few times. Red Letter Living, Red Letter Living, Red Letter Living. Red Letter Living. Through this six week series uh, we'll be studying, we have been studying and we'll continue to study Matthew chapter 5 and then going in a little bit into chapter 6. In these passages we are discovering that there is a link that is supposed to exist between our actions and our motives. And I'm challenging you, if you noticed in your bulletin, when we redesigned the bulletin, we put a message note card in there. It's easy for you to keep notes, but it also is a way for you to take the notes home and be able to keep them. And on the bottom, we, we kind of uh, proposed a little question, an application question there for you, because we really want to challenge you to develop a habit of not just setting and hearing and walking away from the Word of God. Because I would be amiss if I didn't tell you, you are responsible for the words that you've heard. And you will be held accountable for the words that you've heard. So in the bottom part of that card, we want to help you apply at least one truth. And sometimes I talk for a long time, but you can in some way pick out one truth, write it down, and then the application is, how do I walk out that one truth this week in my life? Begin applying the word to your life. Don't just be hearers, but be doers of the work. Work. Word. Didn't have enough coffee. Alright, so turn it with me over to Matthew chapter 5. Let me just try to quickly recap and show you here. In Matthew chapter 5, the first week, we started with reading verses 13 through 16 just to show you what God is calling us to be. Right before he went into what we've been titling the red letter living, you know, you've heard it said, but now Jesus says, but I say. So now he's, he's showing us that link between this was okay for actions only before me, Jesus is saying. But now with me, it's a motive of your heart. It needs to be a motive of your heart. It needs to come out of your heart. Can't just be what you say and do. It's got to be who you are. And that salt and light is showing you that we are called to be the salt and the light. Not just light shining our flashlight around. That's deeds. That's what we're doing. As a matter of fact, he said, do your deeds in a way that people will see your good deeds and glorify your God in heaven. But let it be the salt. Let it be inside you that draws people to God. And then we went on. Well, hello. Who's flipping my pages? Uh, then we went on and read in, in the first week, um, verses 17. Am I saying this right? I guess I should look at my notes here. Oh, we read 13 through 20. So we went right into the fulfillment of the law. And again, so we, we pointed out motives matter. So week first, the first week, uh, we titled that Motives Matter. And we read in Proverbs 16 too, the Amplified Version says, All the ways of a man seem clean and innocent in his own eyes. He thinks his actions are okay. But the Lord weighs and examines the motives and the intents of our heart. And then it says, and he knows the truth. See, we can do a lot of things, but not really mean them. Right? And you can't justify the sin that you're living in by stating, well, God knows my heart. Haven't you heard somebody say that before? Nor can we justify not doing what Jesus commands us to do. Well, because, well, God knows my heart. I just pray for those people that are doing that. 
Both are equally deserving of judgment because God knows our heart. He knows, weighs our hearts, examines them, our motives, and he says, and then I know the truth. And then last week, the message title was Murder in the First, where we pleaded the case for our guilty heart, and we continued on by reading the verses 21 through 26, where Jesus explained to us, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I'm saying if you even hate your brother, you've already murdered. Uh, 1 John 3.15 says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We also learned one point that we really picked on was that Jesus said, while you're at the altar, if you remember that your brother has something against you. And we really attacked the whole division, the whole... Turning inward, we talked about in class this morning. How we start bickering and fighting with each other and we forget who the focus should be on. The enemy is in front of us. <laughs> not in front of us here. He's out there. You know, and he's not the world. You're not the people in the world that need to be in here. You got to remember the enemy is not your brother or your sister. But that your brother has something against you. And again, Listen to the message last week because I went on and on about there. But I want to share with you, I did share, Matthew Henry's commentary on that says, we are unfitted for communion with God. See, while he was at the altar presenting his gifts, the Holy Spirit taps him on the shoulder and says, um, buddy, we've got a problem. We are unfitted for communion with God. When a quarrel, when we are in a quarrel with a brother... Yet that can be no excuse for the omission or neglect of our duty. He said, leave your gift there and go be reconciled with your brother. Otherwise, when you have gone away, you will be tempted not to come back again. And we talked about that for a minute. That if you have something against, if you get into a little, we'll, we'll just call them quarrels, with each other, it's easy to say, I'm not going to church today. Or it's easy to fold your arms and sit in your chair. Usually you move back a little bit even away from the altar. And you know, I'm not going to forget so-and-so until so-and-so forgets me. Or comes to me and asks me for forgiveness. You know? Least you go away and don't come back again. See, he said, stop what you're doing right there. Put your gift down. Don't even try to worship. It, it's not working. Go be reconciled. Many give this as a reason why they do not come to church because they have an unresolved problem with some brother. And whose fault is that? Remember Jesus said, if you know somebody has something against you, even if it's not your fault, but you know, or you think, I've talked about that before, when I even think that there's something, I'll go to the person, I'll say, I'm sorry, it, it's, it's, is there something wrong between us? Because I'm feeling a little, you know, like we're not connecting. Get it right out in the open. Don't try to hide it, dismiss it, it will eat, if you're a woman, it will eat away at your mind. Constantly. And Matthew Henry goes on to say, one sin will never excuse another, but will rather double the guilt. When you sit back and you say, well, I don't care. It's Helen's problem that she has this problem with me, not me. I did nothing wrong. I have not excused my sin from that guilt. I've doubled the guilt. It's now my concern. If you know a brother has something against you, when you're at the altar. 
So that was last week. That ain't not even this week. Again, take those 10 minutes off my time. That had nothing to do. No, it does. Because I want to show you the progression of the way we're going. Because what happens, and probably if you ask, lined up all the pastors in the world today, and ask them, what is the number one question you're asked after you get done preaching? I can assure you they say, people come up to me and say, oh, so somebody told you about this issue in my life, and that's why you preach that. No. I want to show you there we are literally going through the book chapter 5 of Matthew and going into chapter 6. So we talked about salt and light. We talked about the fulfillment of the law. We've talked about murder last week. This week we're combining two of the topics adultery and divorce. And I'm clearing the air right now before we even start reading the main scripture. I did not hear about an issue you are having. So if you're sitting here today and you're having, you got in a fight with your husband or something, I didn't change the message this morning. It's just a progression in the order that we're going. So it, I, I didn't know. But we did pray Wednesday night. We were praying about marriages. And of course I knew this message was coming up. I, I mean I can read ahead. But over and over again, and it, trust me, when the corporate prayer meeting, it, it's not specific, let's gossip about everybody and then let's pray about it. No, it's, um, gosh, I'm hearing so many marriages are under attack right now. Can we just all band together and we held hands, we band together, and we prayed not only for all the marriages in the church that's under attack, but in our community. Because I was listening to a message, which I'll refer to later, where the guy said... Um, as the marriages go, so goes the community. As the marriages go, so goes the church. As the marriages go, so goes the community. If Satan can get in and divide the marriage, he's divided the family, he's divided the church, he can divide the community, he can break up ministries. But clearing the air, I did not say, oh, I know, Pastor Neil and Deborah need this message because I heard them fighting this morning. <laughs> I did. It's just the order, okay? Um, but also, let's not dismiss the sovereignty of God to know to put a proper word at the proper time in due season, okay? So don't dismiss it was a fluke. God's big. He knows what needs to be said when it needs to be said. All right. Again, that was pretty... Take that off my time too, Dave. Okay? Alright, starting with verse 27. You have heard it said... Again, this, these, are, these are red letters. This is Jesus himself speaking this. You have heard it that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right hand causes you to sin, gouge it out. Isn't that nice? Hmm, gouge that thing out. Gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, then cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Continue reading, verse 31. It has been said... Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. This message is not just for the married couple. So don't, if you've already said, well, I get to sleep during this message... I don't get to sleep during this message. I, I need to pay attention because adultery and divorce is not just physical. We're talking spiritual too. You are in a relationship with God. God being, Jesus is called our bridegroom. We are called the bride of Christ. You are in a love covenant relationship with God if you're a Christian. But you're also in a love covenant if you're married with your spouse. Alright, so I want you to try to apply, and you can with the Holy Spirit, we prayed for him, to help you connect and apply, not only in your marriage, the principles here, but also in your relationship with God. 
Bill Johnson pointed out that in almost every scripture where idolatry is mentioned, adultery is there also. Why? Because adultery is in the physical, what idolatry is in the spiritual. It is a betrayal of devotion. Self-pity is idolatry. Because who's your focus? Yourself. Which in turn is adultery. Because you're focused on yourself. And bluntly put, you're worshiping yourself. You're committed to yourself. You're devoted to yourself. You're giving all the attention to yourself. Adultery is giving your love to someone other than your bride or bridegroom. Jesus is called our spiritual bridegroom. We are his bride. Replacing our love and devotion to God with something else is spiritual adultery. And if there's something, and he was very plain, if there's something in your relationship with your spouse or with God that is causing you to sin, cut it out. And he went right for the big ones. What did he say? Your eye. Wait a minute. But I thought it was, he said right eye both times. The best of the two. The right is always called the best of the two. The right eye. The best of your vision, your sight. The best of whatever you can do. Your right hand. If you've got something in your relationship that's causing you to sin, cut it out. It is better for you to stop that one thing than to allow that one thing to drag you to hell. That one thing. You remember Paul said everything's permissible. But not everything is beneficial. You know really I could do whatever I wanted to do. But I choose not to do some things because I will not allow those some things to drag me to hell. Or anyone else. Paul says the mature should not just look at their own interests. Should look at your interests. If what I'm doing could cause you to go to hell, could cause you to sin, could cause you to stumble, it would just be best if I just cut it out of my life and not do it. You are committing adultery against God by withholding your love from him. Even if that someone is yourself. Well, you can't tell me what to do. I can do this and it's, there's no problem. I can just do this. Okay, who are you committed to? Who are you loving? I mean, I've used this example before, you know. Brian and I have been married. Oh, dear Jesus. Is it, has it, how long has it been, honey? Too long? No. Is it 28 years in April? 20? Oh, he knows. Yeah, you go there. Okay, you remember you were there, right? All right, thank you. 28 years. And I'll tell you if... Where's Josh and Chantel? Let me tell you something. Soon to be married couple. What doesn't bug you now will bug you later. Oh, it's so cute. He just does this little thing, but it's so cute. 28 years from now is going to drive you crazy. So when you look at him and say... You know, buddy, I love you, but could you just not do this one thing? How he responds to that shows his love and devotion to you. If he says, too bad, that's your problem. I can do whatever I want to do. Mm. Fireworks in the house that night and not in the good way, buddy. I'm telling you. Buy, buy a good couch. Let me just tell you that now. All right. But really, how we respond, when we start feeling the tapping of, you know, God on our shoulder that, you know, maybe you just shouldn't do this one thing. And we say, well, I can do it if I want to do it. You show, you show your love and devotion. When it's, when it's black and white issues, those are, you know, come on. It's when it really doesn't matter, are you willing to give it up? 
Are you willing to say no to it? Adultery. Divorce. God never created this covenant to be broken. In our relationship with each other as a married couple and our devotion with him, our marriage, our covenant with him. He never created the covenant to be broken. Man's sinful heart brought this on. See, I'll show you. When they came to, in Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 8, some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And Jesus said, haven't you read? See, he takes them back to the word. Haven't you, re haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they are one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning, Jesus said. It was never intended for this covenant, this love covenant to be broken. Never, but because of our wicked hearts. And isn't it the same both with our relationship with God and with our relationship with each other? With our relationship with God, it really is. It's a matter of choice. Oh, I'm going to say that later. I don't want to preach what's already down here. I'll be careful. Let me show you. I've read, has anybody, Jeremiah chapter 3 can be a very confusing chapter. Because it's referencing the unfaithfulness of one uh, country and the faithfulness of another. And he's showing us, and sometimes you read it and you're like, who was he just talking about? But I think, I, wanna, I want us to look at this because the whole chapter compares living in idolatry with living in adultery. And the way that God sees it, because of course this was, you know, God speaking here through to Jeremiah. And let me just, because he calls one faithless and one unfaithful. One faithless and one unfaithful. Faithless is without faith. It's the uh, not yet believers. It, it's the, or, you know, it's the ones without faith. Faithless. Unfaithful means that they have faith, but they're living disloyal. They have faith. Oh, I, I'm in this love covenant with God, but I kind of like doing whatever I want to do over here. They're being unfaithful. So in Jeremiah chapter 3, starting with verse 6, During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, Jeremiah, have you seen what faithless Israel has done? Faithless Israel has done. She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. Pause. That's the high places. That's where they worshipped other idols. High places. Over and over again when you read through Kings or Quranic, over and over again it talks about the high places. That was where the shrines, the temples were built for the worship of these other idols. And it says faithless Israel has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. Worshipping other idols. Worshipping other gods. Verse 7, I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me. That's God's heart. Wish you wouldn't do that. Just come back to me. Just come back to me. The prodigal son and the father waiting eagerly. Just come home. Just come home. Come on. Come on. You know that's not good. 
That's the father's heart. And he said, after faithless Israel had done all this, that she would return to me, but she did not. And her unfaithful sister, Judah, saw it all. People are always watching. Faithless Israel is prostituting herself by worshiping other gods. Unfaithful Israel is watching. Let's just put that into context right now. Because we're talking about the body of believers. Do you believe 100% that everyone in this room is going to heaven? Yeah, you really want to believe that. You really do. And maybe because we're a little bit smaller, it, it, you can look around and say, yeah, I'm almost 99% sure. But there's some that are in here, will always be in here, you know, no matter what size church you are. But when we turn and try to compare ourselves with ourselves and look and say, well, if Dale does that, I can do that. I don't know Dale's heart. I don't know where his real relationship is with God. I can't measure what I can do and what I can't do against Dale, even though as good as you are, Dale. I mean, maybe you are the standard, right? No, no. Oh, he points to his wife. Her, just look at her. Don't look at me. But other people are watching, and we're watching, and we're thinking, well, if Dale can do that, I can do that. And that's the point he's trying to pull out here. Faithless Israel was out prostituting herself by worshiping other gods. Her sister, same family, was watching. Uh, verse 8, I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. He already said, I tried to bring her back, I tried to bring her back, I tried to bring her back. It wasn't because she committed and he says, get out of here, you've made a mistake, I don't want you anymore. He said she repeated to commit, repeated committing adultery, and I constantly kept wanting her back and wanting her back, but she did not return. So I gave her her certificate of divorce and sent her away. If you don't want anything to do with me, so be it. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. Seeing what was going on, she's like, that wasn't too bad. God didn't punish her too bad. Had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. Well, if Dale can do it, I can do it. Dale sips a little wine with his dinner, I can go out and have a couple beers. Well, if Dale, you know, does, I can do this. Had no fear, went out, committed adultery in verse 9, because Israel, again, faithless Israel's immortality mattered so little to the sister who was watching. She defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. Worship the idols. In spite of all this, her unfaithful sister Judah would not return to me. With all her heart, but only in pretense. Let me explain. She was sitting in the congregation... She was watching Dale and saying, well, if Dale can get away with this, I can get away with this. And I'll just worship the Lord on Sunday and do what I want on Monday through Saturday. She didn't return to God with all her heart. Unfaithful, disloyal, Sister Judah would do all the right things, but was not committed to the Lord with all her heart. And the Lord said to me, listen to this, faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah. Faithless Israel that went out and just did her own thing and turned her back on God and said it's all over, 
faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah that comes to church every Sunday, raises her hands and does all the right things. But her heart is far from him. Whoa! That was eye-opening to me. That somebody out in the world doing their own thing, you know, all on their own, can be more righteous than someone who comes to church every Sunday. Worships the Lord and says and does all the right things. But their heart is not committed to God. Spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery. Marriage were create, marriages were created as a covenant relationship between a man and a wife. A husband and a wife and God. That's how the covenant, he is part in this contract. God is a party in this contract. I just heard some marriage math facts. Two plus one equals one. Two, husband and a wife, plus God equals one. Two plus zero still equals zero. No! Two plus zero still equals two. And they'll always be divided. See, the only way that two can become one is in that love covenant with God. They become one. If two get married without God in that contract, in that, without that contract covenant with God, they still will remain two and they'll be divided. That was a podcast I listened to and Pastor Denny and Karina will drop this um, link to this podcast from Jimmy Evans. I heard it. He just spoke at Gateway Church. Great marriage resource the message was and I pulled those math. He went on and did a whole bunch more. I don't have time for this because Dave makes me stick to the time. <sighs> Even though I know I still get 10 minutes back out of this. So many marriages are under attack right now. My best friend growing up, married 30 plus years, just announced on Facebook this last week that they're getting a divorce. 30 plus years. While I was putting this message to, together on Friday, I get a phone call from one of my boys, and it's not Isaiah, I know you know Isaiah, it's not a, it was Nick, who just got married, said, I think our marriage is over. Can you give me some advice? What, what's the next step? I said, get back with her. That's the next step. What are you doing? Well, it's hard. Wah! Suck it up. Rub dirt on it. I mean, I just was compassionate to the core. <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. I know. I, hello. We just talked about this Wednesday and Jacob's like, Paul said that. Paul said, you will not sin when you get married, but buddy, you're gonna have trouble. I know, it's like, hello, what did you think was gonna happen? Well, it's hard, duh. Two people becoming one is hard. And then I told him why. I said, have you found a good church yet? Are you plugged into a church yet? Are you getting counseling? Well, no. We, well, we're kind of busy. I said, buddy, you want, you want problems or you don't want problems? What do you want? Your car breaks down and you can't fix it. Don't you take it to a mechanic? You need to get help. You have to be plugged in. Two plus one will then become one. Will it be crisis-free? No! But you got God in it that way. So many, so many marriages are under attack. But this was not the first time it happened. The first time a marriage, the love covenant, was attacked was in the Garden of Eden. The covenant was just established. And Satan came in, and I want you to get this point. He could have come when both of them were together, right? 
and attacked both of them at the same time. Did God really say that? But he knew how to separate them. He knew if he could get them separated and attack one, it would separate the marriage. He had to get the woman alone. Did God really say that? If, he, if Adam would have been with her in a way where, and I know some people have said Adam was right there. I think that, have you, okay, I'm really going to put myself, have you ever heard voices in your head? All the women nod, guys are like, what? <laughs> Here's just Brenda version, is that I'm sure it started in her head, in her thoughts. Did God really say that? Did, that tree really looks good. Did God really? Because how did she get over there by it? I think she was already thinking it, already thinking it. And Adam's like, hey, where are you going? Oh, nowhere. <laughs> and that voice is getting louder and louder. Like, woman, where are you going? Oh, nowhere. <laughs> Did God really say it? That's nice fruit. I really say that? If he could separate the two. If he could separate the two, I can break this marriage up. He knew he needed to separate them. He knew he needed to just get one. Because when husbands and wives are in agreement, the enemy has no power. No power. The worst thing you can do if you're in a relationship, the worst thing you can do is allow an assumption to fester. I haven't heard from my husband in a couple hours and he's usually home by now. I wonder where he could be. And the voices start. Right, ladies? Where is he? What's he doing? Where'd he go? And then she calls him. Where are you? I'm running late. Well, where are you? I'm running late. I'll be right home. Then she hangs up. Where is he? What's he doing? Just goes on and on. Clear it up. Clear it up. If she would have came back to Adam and said, did, you know, did God really say that? He could have gone, yeah. What are we doing? How do we get clear over here by this tree? Come on. When... Marriages are in unity. When husband and wives are in agreement, the enemy has no power. So what happens when we allow our marriages to stay under Satan's attacks? I could give you a whole list, a plethora of different things. Just two I want you to look at. If you allow your and I'm talking about relationships. So either your relationship with God or your relationship with your spouse. When you allow it to stay under the attack of the enemy... The first thing is, the devil has a foothold. The devil has a foothold. And the second thing is, your prayers will be hindered. The devil will have a foothold and your prayers would be hindered. And a lot of scriptures I could give you... Um, the one about don't go to bed angry, Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, when you're in a disagreement with your spouse, when you're in a disagreement with, your, with God. And let me, oh, I never have a disagreement. You liar. There are things I don't like how God does them. And if I were, no, I'm just kidding. If you've never gotten angry with God, I question your relationship. Or you could just be one of those flowery, rose-colored glasses people that I need more in my life of. Because I question a lot. I don't like that I question a lot. But if you go to bed mad, if you let that anger fester, if you let that question of, God, why did that happen? Or, God, why did you let this happen? I mean, mine always happens, and again, very vulnerable, when I'm sitting at a baby's funeral. That one gets me. And I try and I have to repeat over and over in my mind, God, you love that baby more than I do. God, you love that baby more than I do. And this was not your plan. God, you knew it was coming, but it's not your plan. The enemy is real. He's out there to still kill and destroy. 
but don't let that anger fester. In a marriage relationship, don't go to bed angry, it says, or you give the devil a foothold. You can question God. You can be angry with God. He's a big God. He can handle it. But talk it out with him. Don't let the enemy have a foothold in that. And your prayers are hindered. Malachi chapter 2. I've got to read this to you. Malachi chapter 2 verses 13 through 16 says, Another thing you do. This is God speaking to us. Another thing you do. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? You ever felt a separation from God? And you ask, why? He answers, it is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. The Lord is the witness. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Verse 15, has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Verse 16, the man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. Says the Lord Almighty, so be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. We need to safeguard our marriages. Safeguard our marriages. This doesn't mean that you're going to be free from any attacks again. You will have attacks. You will have trouble. Paul said that, right? Jacob, Paul said that. Yeah. Jacob says Paul said that. You will have trouble. But if you stay in agreement, the enemy has no power in your marriage. If you stay in agreement with God, God, I don't understand, but I trust your heart. I trust your nature. I trust your word, God. If you stay in agreement, the enemy cannot have any power in your relationship with God. Ephesians 4, 29 through chapter 5, verse 2. Here's how you safeguard your marriage. Here's how you safeguard your relationship with God. And I am getting ready to close. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Oh, that's one, I mean, practical application for one truth I learned, maybe just that one alone would do a lot of people good. What's the one truth I can walk out this week? Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who are listening. There's that unfaithful sister. It's always watching, always listening. And if you can do it, why can't she? Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God but with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate with one another and here it is, here's how to safeguard your relationships. Forgiving each other just as. And if you've got a paper Bible, circle those words. Just as. In Christ, God forgave you. And follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love just as. Circle that one. Just as Christ loved us. He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So how can we safeguard our relationships? Forgive as God forgave you. Love as God has loved you. Remember when the woman was caught in the act of adultery? She was thrown before the feet of Jesus because the Pharisees again wanted to test Jesus. 
She was caught in the act of adultery. I think some versions even say early in the morning. Oh, but guys like, you know, voyeurism, you know, check it peeking through the windows, I don't understand, but a whole mob of them grabbed her right out of the bed, threw her at the feet of Jesus and said, the law says that we're supposed to stone her to death. What do you say? And here's this mob all holding these stones. We're going to stone her to death. What do you say? And Jesus stooped down in the dirt. Again, people can all just imagine what he was writing. I think because the artist inside me thinks he was drawing because her face is in the ground. She wouldn't look up. There's no way she's going to look up at her accusers. No way is she going to look up into the face of Jesus. So he stooped down to her. I'm right here. And I think they couldn't hear what he was saying because they're all yelling, Yeah, sinner! Prostitute! adulteress. She's wicked. Stoner. Stoner. And Jesus down here. I love you. Do you realize how much I love you? And I believe the creator God, creative in his nature, has just drawn a heart. You and me. I love you. I love you. And then he looked up at the crowd and said, you know what? Yeah. The law does say that. Go ahead and stone her. You're right. She was a sinner. Caught in the act. But him without sin cast the first stone. Are you loving as God loves you? Are you forgiving as God forgives you? Him without sin cast the first stone. See, we want forgiveness. We want love. We want unconditional love. We want extreme forgiveness from God. I know I do. Because I need it daily. Minute by minute, I'm like, oh, why did I think that? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Lord, forgive me. But the minute somebody else does something, I'm like, God needs to get you. You think you're going to go to heaven with that mouth? Oh, I think I've said that to the kids. Right? We want judgment, 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 judgment. God, judge that person. Love as God loved us. Forgive as him without sin cast the first stone. That's the that's how we maintain, that's how we safeguard those relationships between husband and wife, between us and God. Love as. There's a test that we've done in our marriage life group. If you want to put up that slide, you want to know, am I loving the way God has loved me? Put your name in that chapter uh, 13, verses 4 through 7. Put your name where that where those blanks are. That's called the love chapter. It's love is. Love is page. Love is love is love love love. You want to know if you're loving like God? Put your name there. Sorry, Dale. I'm just going to keep using you. Why not, buddy? Sorry. Dale is patient. Is Dale patient? You know, when you're doing, and I'm not telling you to put your spouse's name there. You put your own name there. patient? Is Dale being patient? Is Dale being kind? Does Dale not envy? Dale does not boast. Dale is not proud. Dale does not dishonor others. Dale is not self-seeking. Dale is not easily angered. Dale keeps no record of wrongs. Dale does not delight in evil, but he rejoices with the truth. Dale always protects. Dale always trusts. Dale always hopes. Dale always perseveres. When you put your name there, my work's done here. Oh, Dale. Oh, Dale. 
going to close with prayer for Dale. No. Um. Are you loving as God loves you? What does that look like? Are you forgiving as God forgave you? And let me just say again, again, if your marriage is breaking down, you've tried and you cannot fix it, go get help. Same example I used earlier. If your car breaks down and you can't fix it, there's no shame in you taking it to the mechanic. You can't fix it. You need help. Why do we defend pride? Why do we defend... The one thing that caused Satan to fall from heaven is pride. When we hide can't heal. As a matter of fact, that's what God told me when Brian and I was going through a terrible time in our marriage years ago. And it was, I mean, it was, it wasn't fights once in a while. It was continual fights. And I would cry out to God, why won't you fix this? Why won't you fix this? Look at what I'm, I'm sacrificing everything for you, God. Why do I have to come home and it be such a struggle? Why can't you fix this? And he simply said, I cannot fix what you continue to hide. I cannot heal. Sorry, he said, I cannot heal what you continue to hide. And he instantly, in a flash like, you know, right before you're dying type flash before your eyes, over and over again, how we would blow up and then I'd run around through the house and want to fix everything and just, it's okay, everyone, dad didn't mean to yell at you and, you know, Ryan didn't mean to yell at you and, you know, it's okay and he loves you and he loves you and everything's okay and I'd sweep it under the rug and God instantly showed me when he spoke that to me, this huge pile under this rug. He said, you keep sweeping everything under the rug and I can't heal it if you continue to hide it. Oh. And so I got on my knees, bald like a baby, and, you know, in my mind, pictured myself just flinging that rug back in that pile of dirt and mess underneath it. And I just said, here it is, God. And I went to my pastor, and I went to the board, and I went to the district. You know, I'm still pastor on staff these years ago. And I said, here it is. We need help. I've hit it long enough. God can't heal, but I continue to hide. Go get help. Start on your face before God. In that movie, The Shack, I love it. The man was sinking in the boat. And he's staring at the muck that's, you know, drowning his boat. And Jesus is standing right here in the water saying, Look at me, look at me, look at me. And he's staring and his boat is sinking. And there's muck coming up and he's like, <gasps> And Jesus is saying, Just look at me, look at me. He said, I can't help you if you continue to focus on your pain instead of me. Oh. The minute the man put his eyes on Jesus instead of on his pain, the immediate, I'm sinking, whatever it is, boat right up. committed himself to you in a love covenant have you been as committed to him in your covenant your marriage and your relationship with God forgiving as God forgave you loving as God loved you what are you waiting for we are out of time people we are out of time. You have not been promised tomorrow. And I told you all, and if you would give me a couple more minutes, give me a little bit of leeway here. I want to share with you, I had a near-death experience on Tuesday. Uh, I couldn't believe it. I mean, really, I'm young. Now, I know you don't believe it. I'm young. I'm young. I'm under 50. I can still say that. This side of that side of the hill. Actually, I'm like way down here. The hill's still up here. Not even over the hill yet. 90. The hill, top of the hill starts at 90. I like that. But Tuesday morning, going through my schedule, same thing every day, routine, right? Most of us A-types like routine. 
schedule. I like it just like this. This is the way we're going. Went to pull out of my driveway and turn right like I normally would. And there was a big garbage truck right there. So I gave the guy a wave and I thought, oh, I can go this way and shoot down Thompsonville Road. If you don't know, I live like two houses down. One house down, right? Other side of this house. So I turned left, turned right onto Thompsonville Road. Was heading into, I do studies with Pastor Carrie at Living Hope Assembly of God on Tuesdays. And wasn't even a mile down the road. Not even a mile. Just got up to 55. Because I was, I looked at my really trying to be good about not speeding people really am so I looked down 55 I'm good I mean I wasn't even a mile away started up the first hill there and very aware that there was a white truck work truck that was already over the top of the hill facing me it was coming this way but it was stopped I surmised it was going to turn left in front of me into the driveway because I looked over I saw a driveway coming up and I knew because I know the area that's Wayne's brother's house on top of the hill and I'm thinking oh he's got a work truck going into Wayne's brother's driveway and then I thought he's over top of the hill so somebody coming up behind him isn't going to see him he doesn't have a blinker on why don't he have his left blinker on and even if he did somebody I mean all this stuff's going through my head somebody popping over that hill at 55 miles an hour and I'm not exaggerating that white truck was as close as Dale is to me and turned left right in front of me and slammed on his brakes so I was this close to that white truck right in front of me and I gasped so hard I hurt my throat put a cramp in my stomach jerked the slammed on the brakes jerked the wheel as hard as I could to the right and then I knew I had to jerk it right back again because figured trees or something right there and as I jerked it back again I was already over the top of the hill and I started into that two wheels this way two wheels this way two wheels this way and I don't know how far I went but through my mind I thought I'm gonna roll and I'm gonna be dead in front of Wayne's house because Wayne lives in the valley of that that hill but this way and that way up on two hills and then I'm jerking the wheel back this way and all of a sudden I heard this voice yell not now and so I yelled stop and I let my foot off the brakes and my vehicle went straightened right out and of course I was <laughs> and I looked up in the rearview mirror and the white truck was in the driveway so I didn't hit him I didn't hit anything else I'm okay and I mean all the way into Traverse City I was going <laughs> and I was just shaking I couldn't let go of the steering wheel and I just started thank you God thank you God thank you for your protection thank you for the angels and then that voice started going over and over in my mind yet not yet not now not yet not now and so when I stopped at the church in Traverse City of course like all good people do posted on Facebook <laughs> because I was immediately aware I am not promised tomorrow I'm not promised this next day but we go through our lives so hurriedly now that we forget at any moment we could be standing before God and are you ready to give an account so, of course, I posted 2 Corinthians 5.10 that says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We will all stand before God and have to give an account. Are you loving as God loves you? Are you forgiving as God forgave you? really let me ask you to stand up in closing what really what excuse do you feel when you stand before God that you can give to God for why you're not loving others as God loves you 
what excuse do you really believe you can give God to say, I don't have to forgive as you forgave me because, well, we caught her in the act. We threw her at the feet of Jesus. She was caught in the act. The word says to stone her. Moses said I could give her a certificate of divorce and send her away. I don't have to forgive him. He raped my sister. I don't have to forgive him. He don't know what he did to me. Is that the excuse you're going to give God? Love acts. He said that. He said, you must love others as I have loved you. He's the one that said, you must forgive as I have forgiven you. And then he even tagged on to it said, you know what? If you don't forgive others as I have forgiven you, I will not. Jesus said, my Father will not forgive you your sins. That's pretty blunt. When you begin to talk out, out loud, the excuses that sometimes we let to let go on way too long in our minds, you'll hear how foolish they sound. Well, you don't know what he did to me. Well, you don't know what she's did to me. And I, it's her fault. It's his fault. I don't have to. They need to ask me for forgiveness. That's foolishness to God. Could you imagine saying that to God? Could you imagine if God said that to you as you come up to the altar today? Do you think you've earned my forgiveness? Do you think you deserve my forgiveness? Have you been so loving that I can then give you some of my love? But he's, he lays it out like that. Love as I have loved you. Forgive as I forgave you. It's time to come to the altar and lay down your rights. That's all it amounts to. Like Jesus said, I laid down my rights. I laid down my life for you. It's time to lay down our rights, take up God's forgiveness, God's love, and begin walking in it. Oh, Brenda, but it can't be that simple. It is that simple. Lay down your rights to hold on to whatever thing you're still holding on to. Lay it down. Take up God's forgiveness. Take up God's love and begin walking in it. This is a whole nother message. But let me just encourage you. I don't know if it's encouraging you. Let me just say, too many people, when the altar call is given, grab a hold of that chair in front of them like it's their life-saving ring. It's me in this chair in front of me until Jesus comes back. And then they, and again, if you think it in your mind, speak it with your lips, and then, then discern if it's truth or a lie. But people will hold on to that chair, never move when an altar call is given because, well, God can come to me. I came to church. God can touch me right here in this seat. What you're doing is you're creating God in your own image. You've made an idol for yourself that's not God. When you create God in the image of you, he has to move this way. He has to do this. If he wants to touch me, he can come to me. You created a God in your image. That's an idol. We are the created. He is the creator. He is the king of the universe. He is the divine, the supreme, the all-knowing, the almighty. We come to him on his terms, period. And if he says you need to come to the altar, lay down your rights, offer your gift, and then go and be reckoned. This is what you need to do. It is a statement, just like coming into the courtroom or coming into a king's room, a king's throne room, is that you wouldn't come in and sit down and say, you king, you come over here and talk to me. We come to God on his terms. So let's do this as we close. 
I want you to just begin asking yourself, am I loving like God loves me? Am I forgiving as God forgave me? And let me talk for one second just to married couples while your eyes are closed, your heads are bowed. Are you loving your spouse as God loves you? Are you forgiving your spouse as God forgives you? In your relationship with God, are you loving others as you are commanded to do? Are you forgiving others the way you are commanded to forgive others? If I can ask the altar team, unless you want to respond to the altar yourself, I understand that. But to come up and get ready to begin praying for people, because I want us to get up. I want us to get out of our seats. I want us to make a recommitment today, as we close, to God and to our spouses. If you're here with your spouse, or even if your spouse isn't here, and you want prayer, you need prayer for your marriage. Get prayer. Continue to hide. God wants to heal. And if it's your relationship with God, maybe you haven't even started a real relationship with God. Come up. Let's pray with you. We want to pray with you. We want to help you. Do that now. Continue. Let's just start responding to the altar right now when I pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you are bigger than any problem. You are bigger than any issue. God, that we could build in our minds or any case that we could build up against a, a neighbor or a spouse. Lord, you're bigger than all that. You've seen all that. You know all that. And if we just lay it before you, you can heal all that. God, right now I ask that you begin to move on the hearts of the people and bring them to you. God, bring them to you. You said in your word over and over again, you wanted her to return to you. You waited for her to return to you. Unfaithful Israel, you kept calling out to her, return to me, return to me, return to me. You even waited for un or faithless Israel. You even waited for unfaithful Israel to return to you with all her heart. Not just doing those things, not just coming to church and raising our hands and doing all the right thing, but you want it with all our heart to be committed to you and our love covenant with you, God. Call out to them. Bring them here. Bring them here. Bring them to the altar. God, help them realize your love in such a way that they can walk out your love. To begin to be the vessel that you can pour into that just flows out of them. Love and forgiveness. Not because they're capable of it, but because you're giving it to them. They can, they can forgive their spouse. They can forgive others because you're pouring your forgiveness in them and through them. It's you, God, moving. Holy Spirit, fill, fill, fill. Holy Spirit, move. Holy Spirit, move. Fill these individuals with your love. Fill these individuals with your forgiveness. Holy Spirit, draw them, draw them to you. 